This sermon was recorded at Christ Church Mission, a congregation that seeks to be a people fully alive in God's kingdom. It's the gospel reading from Mark. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. The word of the Lord. Good morning again. As I mentioned earlier, today is World Mission Sunday. It's a tradition of the Anglican Church to kind of designate a Sunday of the year to highlight God's global work in the world uh, across races and cultures and, uh, you know, being Anglican uh, is, uh, I think being global is one of Anglicanism's strengths, okay? Because Anglicanism is most prevalent in the global south, actually. We Anglicans aren't, um, you know, primarily an American church. Uh, we're not, uh, we're mostly, you know, again, the, the Anglican church is largest in the global, global south. And look, Anglicans have... Uh, they have their conflicts, like every denomination, for sure. But so far, Anglicans have worked hard to stay connected to one another globally, despite differences and challenges. And so uh, I'm really grateful for that. So today is World Mission Sunday, a day for us to not just remember God's work here at this church, but for, to remember his work all over the world and the coming of his kingdom across all cultures, not just our own. And this morning is going to feel just a little bit different because I'm going to, uh, one of the things that I want to do is to try to talk about some of our global mission partners that we work with at Christchurch Mission um, and try to talk a little bit about what we do with those places and how you might consider getting involved. And I'm even going to invite somebody up to share about their experience on working with one of those partners. But I'm also going to try to deal with the scripture passage that we just had read for us this morning. And so hopefully I can like bring all of that together in a meaningful way. But you guys can be the judge of that, uh, whether I succeed at that or not. Okay, let's start with the scripture. Honestly, this passage is so odd. If you are listening to that passage of scripture read, or maybe you've heard it before, uh, you might be thinking, wow, okay. Uh, and so let me briefly retell it. Jesus leaves the kind of lake area where he has been working and ministering for a long time because that place is getting kind of heated. His presence there is like creating almost too big of a stir. And so he leaves that area and goes outside of town. Uh, hoping that things can kind of cool down while he escapes. He wants to get away quietly, privately, and it doesn't work. People follow him there. Namely, a woman uh, finds him whose daughter has a contaminated spirit. And we're told two additional things about the woman. First, we're told that she is Syrophoenician, which is a 
um, which means it's, it's indicating something about her ethnicity, that she's from an overlapping region of both Syria and Phoenicia, okay? Uh, so that's one thing that the passage tells us. But further, it goes on to explain that she's Greek, which is not so much a commentary about her ethnicity as it is about her religion. Essentially, the passage is saying she's, she's pagan. She's, you know, she's not a, like, Jewish believer. She's outside of the faith. So that is the picture that we get um, of this woman. Okay, so the woman comes to Jesus and says, Can you, Jesus, remove this tortured spirit from my daughter? And this is where things get weird. Um, Italo, can you throw that scripture slide up just so that I can... Uh, no, the second slide of, this, of the gospel passage. Good. This is Jesus' reply. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Some of you are like, Dean, this is the passage that we have for World Mission Sunday. I, I get it. I'll try to unpack it a little bit. But this isn't even the weirdest part. It gets weirder. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So she like kind of affirms his comment and, uh, and you know, kind of doubles down on it. And Jesus says, for such a reply, you may go. This spirit has left your daughter, and that daughter was miraculously healed. Now, this text, um, I think that this passage of Scripture from Mark chapter 7 might be one of the hardest passages in all of the Gospels to make sense of, given its particular cultural idioms and historic context. The banter, that this ancient banter that they're doing back and forth is maybe among the very hardest of all gospel passages for us to like apply to our modern vernacular. There might be no other passage in the gospels that is as loaded with these ancient turns of phrases that make it very confusing to us. It doesn't make sense to us that the sinless Messiah, Jesus, would call this woman essentially a dog, which sounds like a major insult, and given it, it seems even consistent with Jesus' own character in so many other passages. He's elevating women and elevating like ethnic minorities, so it doesn't make sense. Furthermore, it doesn't really make much sense that she would accept his premise and say, you're right, but this dog is still hungry. Like, it... it it, while, still, while still calling him Lord even. The passage doesn't make sense on the surface. And then Jesus, to cap it all off, grants her what she asks. It's confusing. Now, I've deep-dived into the cultural context trying to unpack these idioms and these turns of phrases a bit this week. So here's a few things that I'll share. Does it help you at all that Jesus here, this this comment about the dog thing, does it help you that he is referencing an ancient proverb that they both, both he and the woman, would have been well acquainted with? Maybe. <laughs> does it help you that the word that Jesus uses here for dogs is not so much scavenger street vermin, but is beloved household pets and is better translated uh, with the word 
puppies? <laughs> truly, truly. Uh, there, Scott McKnight is a priest in our diocese, and he's recently written a uh, his own like translation of the New Testament that is particularly trying to capture the cultural uh, context of each passage, and that is how he uh, he he re- makes that passage read. So it's. Uh, yeah, so even the puppies, under, oh, that's her, so up top it would be, uh, is it not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the puppies under the table? Does that move the needle for you? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, does it help you to remember that Jesus is a real person? And that being a real person, that he had a personality, we forget that, I think. Does it help at all to remember that, uh, that maybe that at least part of what is happening is some cultural banter and some playful back and forth? I think it helps some. By the way, I think it's funny that, uh, uh, that so many times in the Gospels, Jesus uses a metaphor or a parable, tells these stories, and all of the like religious elites and his own disciples and the, the Jewish people, like every time they are, it seems, they are completely stumped by his metaphors. And they have to go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you unpack this for us? We're confused. Can you explain this metaphor? And it is kind of cool to me that in this passage, it's a, it's a woman who is like outside of the Jewish faith, uh, who's like, no, I got it. Yeah, like, she gets the metaphor, she gets the banter that Jesus is doing with her. Uh, anyway, uh, okay, I could say more a lot, a lot more about this, like, the details of this passage, but let's not lose the forest for the trees. Sometimes when we're reading scripture, we get caught up with the question of what does this passage mean? which is a great question. It's worth our time every time we open the pages of Scripture. What does this passage mean? But another question that we sometimes forget to ask is, why is this passage here? What is this story trying to do? Why did Mark tell this story? And the answer to that question for this passage, I think, is obvious. Mark is underscoring a tension in Jesus' life. See, the Gospels make clear that Jesus' primary role while he was on earth was to proclaim and to announce the coming of the kingdom to the Jewish people, to show them and to tell them that their Messiah, their long-awaited Messiah, had come. That was Jesus' primary mission while he was walking this earth. But in so many stories, like this story, he foreshadows to us that the kingdom was about to explode out into the whole world. To break the barriers of Judaism and to erupt out into every language and culture and ethnicity. That is why this story is here. It's showing us that the kingdom of God is for all people. Jesus knew quite well that while he playfully referred to the Syrophoenicians as puppies, that he knew, Jesus knew that a day was coming soon when they, those puppies, those like second class, whatever, would receive their rightful place to sit down at Christ's table in God's kingdom. They would be made children, actually. 
That is why this story is here. Jesus healed the woman's daughter. Don't forget. He affirmed her faith. Even though she's outside of Judaism, she's ethnically marginalized, and she is or was, I guess depending on how you look at it, a pagan. The gospel and the kingdom are for her. And this passage illustrates God's heart for the gospel to go outside of Judaism and to spread across all barriers of race, language, and ethnicity. That is why this passage is here in Mark chapter 7. And that truth that the kingdom is for all people across all cultures, is, uh, it still drives Christians today. The gospel and the kingdom are for all people across the world. And we, like modern Christians, sometimes refer to that as missions work. Uh, now, I think that Christian missions work has been deconstructed as much as anything in modern Christianity, and rightfully so. Many of us, when we think about Christians taking Christ to other cultures, probably have big feelings about how that should and shouldn't be done. Well, I think that we at Christ Church do that kind of thing in a very healthy way. We engage the world globally in what I think are healthy ways. The first time I ever went on in like an extended mission trip in my life was with Christ Church a long time ago. And even back then, I was trained before I went that my primary role there was not to do teaching, but to do listening and to do learning. That's what I was to do there. I spent two and a half weeks in Uganda and I mostly just shadowed their church leaders there and, uh, and experienced their culture and tried to love and be loved. It was a very rich experience. And it made me uneasy then when, pe- when I would come back and people would say, well, what did you do there? And I would say, ooh, I don't really know how to answer that question, but it changed my life. Like, you know, uh, we do a pretty healthy job, I think. Christ Church has two Um, international ministry partners, one in northern Uganda and one in Honduras. And in both of those partnerships, we try to carefully balance resourcing them in ways that they cannot resource themselves, being supportive to the work that God is already doing there with them, among them, in that place, and when we go there, taking a posture of expectation Uh, reminding ourselves that it might be as much about God doing something in us as it is God doing something in them through us. Uh, Okay, let me talk about these two partnerships in a bit more detail. We do genuinely cool work in both of these places, but we don't talk a ton about it. There's going to be some pictures up here, both our Ugandan partnership and our Honduran partnership while I talk. Um, In both partnerships, we are joined in ministry with strong local churches and leaders. In in none of our trips are we kind of parachuting in with a, like, savior complex of us wanting to make a big difference where they're at. Uh, Our short-term mission trips are short-term, yes, but they foster and build long-term relationships that we've had for a long time and we continue to build. In Honduras, we're partnered with the LAM Institute, who works with at-risk children and youth through education, caretaking, and holistic community development. 
In Uganda, we're part of this uh, network called the Northern Uganda Partnership, with the, which is a joint ministry between our church and a church in Kampala called St. Francis Chapel. And we together, our two churches together, go up north into the northern part of Uganda to, to support the churches up there and the clergy up there. Uh, we help fund some work in both of those places, building structures for their ministries, supporting their staff who are mostly indigenous leaders. And uh, we also send people, of course, send teams to participate uh, with them, to work with them, to learn from them, and to encourage them in their ministry. And so, if there is like a call to action this morning outside of just the broad exhortation to like remember God's kingdom spreading across all cultures and ethnicities, I would ask you to do two things, or one of two things. One, uh, consider whether you should go on one of those trips. Just consider it. Is, it. is this the time for you to go to either Honduras or Uganda? We do these trips every year. Is this the year that you should go on one of these trips? Now, the answer for most of us to that question will be no. I understand that. In fact, if 100 of you answered the question yes, then we would have a problem. Like, I don't know how we would get all of you there. But for some of us, the answer probably is yes. All of us can just ask God that question. God, should I go? To prayerfully ask him the question and to non-anxiously await his response of yes, no, or maybe not yet. Honestly, I'm asking myself that question this year, uh, especially as it relates to Honduras. I'm asking God, should I go? Is this the year? And I'm prayerfully trying to invite his response to that question. So that's the first thing. At least consider the possibility of going on one of these trips at some point. Second, uh, consider giving to a fund that would make it easier for more people to go on these trips. A year ago, we established a scholarship fund at Christ Church so that if a person feels like the answer to that question is yes, I'd like to go, then we could assist them some in their going. It doesn't pay for the trip, but it discounts it some, okay? And so we have this fund set up now, and we, want to, we don't want to just drain that fund to zero over the next two years. We want to keep enabling more and more people to participate. And so anything that gets put, like any undesignated thing this morning that gets put in the offering box is going to go into that fund. And then there will also be an email that goes out tomorrow with a link on there if you'd like to give to that fund to make it more easily for more people to go on these trips, then I encourage you to do that. Okay, I want to invite Dan Fritz up here for a second. Dan is a longtime Christchurch Mission guy, and Dan has been to Honduras two times now, two consecutive years, and thought, so I thought it would be better for y'all to hear from him than it is to hear from me. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for being here. Three questions for you. The first one is this. Why did you say yes to going in the first place? Uh, well, that was easy. I said no. <laughs> um, I didn't pray about it. Um, it came up. It was kind of interesting. My wife, Mary Lou, was going to be in Baltimore watching grandkids that week, and it says no. So we, um, we got on the Zoom call because we were thinking maybe we'd contribute to the scholarship fund. And a couple of weeks later, came, uh, Karen came over and said, so you guys were on the Zoom call. And I got a nudge from God. 
And uh, um, one of the things I've learned about nudges from God is that the spirit in me and the spirit in my wife, if they don't line up, it's probably not a God thing. So I thought, okay, I'm going to mention this to Mary Lou, and then we'll just move on, right? And uh, I'll never forget it. We were circling um, Lamar's, and I said, you know, hon, I'm kind of thinking I should go to Honduras. And she whirled around and said, absolutely. <laughs> and, so, um, and so it truly, at that point, became a to obey or not obey, right? Um, I would love to say that I was excited. Um, but I have learned that when I listen to the nudges of God, it is always good. And so I said, yes, that's mm -hmm. why I went. Awesome. And like Dean said, that would be my challenge to you guys. Don't plan this. Don't think about it. Pray about it. Don't do what I did. Don't make God intervene on the side, right? <laughs> Seek him. And if you get a nudge, trust that nudge and everything else will work out. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience there. What's something that you learned from the folks there in Honduras at, at LAM? Um, the, the thing that comes to mind is joy, just the joy of those kids, you know, running around the playground, not an iPad in sight. Um, <laughs> lots of balls, mm -hmm. lots of running, lots of uh, <laughs> aggressive behavior, um, <laughs> but just a lot of joy with those kids. And th a lot of those kids were rescued from extremely difficult situations. And to see um, the investment of the people that are there in the hearts of those kids was just really humbling. Awesome. So uh, it's obviously very meaningful for you to be a part of that ministry there uh, for their sake. But what about for your sake? Like what impact has going now two years in a row done in you? Yeah, I, I think you'll consistently find people that choose to say yes to this. Um, we receive much more than we give. Um, you know, uh, God shows up. And um, one of the things that struck me, especially this last year, um, was women do a much better job stepping out. And there are a lot of um, young boys um, in this community that need more men. They need the presence of men in their lives. Um, uh, a lot of them didn't have fathers. And so um, I was really struck this time about um, investing in um, wrestling around with these young boys and kind of praying that that the lamb institute would raise up more men to come and work with these mm -hmm. with these guys it's awesome thank you dan thank mm -hmm. you for sharing we guys give dan some love yeah. Dan, by the way, is going to be out in the foyer after the service, so if you want to hear a little bit more particularly about Lamb Institute or Honduras, uh, just grab him out in the foyer afterwards. Okay, in summary, the gospel and the kingdom are for all people. All people across this world are invited to sit down at Christ's table in God's kingdom. And we ourselves, we, were also puppies under the table, if you will, but God has made us his children through his son. And he's still doing that work of inviting people to sit down at the table in his kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right.